is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with David Dabin, and we cover a little bit of everything from relationships in the industry to networking, giving more when you're stuck, his views on taste, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with David Dabin. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is David Dabin. David, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Clay. It's great to chat and uh, get to be here with you. There's so much I want to talk about from the composing, songwriting, arranging. Before we get to that, there was an excerpt from your website that um, really spoke loudly to me. I want to read it, and then I want to talk about um, upbringing in um, you know beginning your entertainment journey. So this is from you on your website. Growing up as the child of first-generation Egyptian Jews, my house was a symphony of sound. The languages spoken were French and Arabic, and the music represented those two worlds. The influence of these languages is evident in my compositions, from the rhythm of dance to the harmonic and tonal progressions melding together to form a unique blend of musical identity. That sounds like quite <laughs> a wonderful melting pot, if you will, of sounds growing up. I'm curious, with all of, with all of those inspirations, what were your entertainment dreams as a child? It's funny, I don't really know where it came from, but I always knew that I wanted to do theater and music. Actually, well, no, I knew I wanted to do stuff in theater. I knew I wanted to work in theater. I knew it was going to be uh, my route. It was something that I just, you know, I connected with instantly and I knew it was going to be my future. Um, but I didn't know I was going to go into music. I thought I was going to be a choreographer or a director. But uh, my mom throughout growing up was always like, David, you're going you're gonna to be into music. And I fought it for so long. Um, and of course, as moms usually are, are usually right. She, of course, was. <laughs> <laughs> was there a defining moment for you um, in your childhood or, or uh, young adulthood <laughs> where you decided that this would be what you would do? I don't really remember ever having that, like, this was the exact moment. But I do recall uh, we had a basement. We had a ranch with a basement and... Uh, anytime uh, I'd go downstairs to the basement, I would play musical theater albums and I would just dance. Um, and uh, at one point I got my parents to hang uh, hooks on the ceiling and I would come up with like pulley systems and I would uh, use flashlights and, and come up with sort of projection like things. Uh, and I just remember the crazy for you album um specifically that one and being enamored by the music and the arrangements um and even i remember my parents took me to new york and i was going to go see my first broadway show and i had convinced myself it was going to be crazy for you and of course i didn't had no say in it like it wasn't something like, i want to go see crazy for you but we went to go see another show and i sit down and i just realized it was not crazy for you and to this day i was just like so upset that it, I, my first show wasn't crazy for you but i i think also that's uh, looking back at my history and sort of my the way things sort of fed into my life crazy for you I never realized that those dance breaks were created by somebody else I didn't realize that it wasn't 
George Gershwin's work. It wasn't the composer. I didn't realize that there were multiple collaborators on it. And it's sort of funny thinking about my path as a composer and a, an arranger, um, sort of how that show sort of paved that path, both that and singing in the rain. How did you how did you find out about the dance arrangement? Was that literally just reading the back of the album or was there some other discovery? I don't think I even knew what a dance arranger was until I was in college. Um, I was doing, uh, I was at the Hart School of Music mm. and I wanted to have an internship at Goodspeed Opera House. And I was able to uh, get an internship there. And at the time they weren't having full-time, uh, they were only having full-time interns. And so they, they, I was able to work out being a part-time music intern and they were doing seven brides for seven brothers. And they had, it was a whole new version of it. And Sam Davis, uh, was a marvelous dance arranger was the very first dance arranger I got to meet. And, uh, I've known Sam for years and it's so funny sort of looking back at that moment, uh, and seeing his gorgeous work on that show. Um, and unfolding sort of how my path has gone. And even when I was in college, I had written little dance breaks for some shows that I was music directing, but I didn't, I didn't know that it was dance arrangements. I just sort of was like, oh, a dance break should go here. Um, and uh, in regular fashion, I just proposed questions of how to create it. And I just did it on my own. I love that. I love that. Were there any standout lessons from him when you were over at um, Goodspeed? Does any particular moment come to mind i didn't really get to see him work so much as the work that he had done uh and i loved um both that and looking at the score of crazy for you and other shows is um a lot of times when you're looking at uh visual music the actual sheet music they're mul they're multiple steps in a process, there's the work that the composer does, and then there's the work that the arranger does, the work that the dance arranger does, there's the work that the uh, orchestrator has put together, and then there's the copyist that puts all of them together so that it's easy to read. And a lot of times when you're, when you're a student or um, uh, a fan of the industry, uh, or even in the industry, you're only looking at the final product, you're not seeing all the steps. Right. So getting to see what, what Sam's contribution was on that show. I was like, oh, this this is somebody's job. This is somebody who got to collaborate and figure out how to uh, how to embellish and further a story through music and supporting the work of the choreographer. And so, getting to see some of the ways that that interested him, um, and I had randomly done seven brides for seven brothers as a performer the year before so also knowing that show and somebody else's dance arrangements it was it was very fun to see two versions of it almost back to back we might have just answered this question but i do want to ask it before we move on do you or have you had any uh, particular mentors and are there any standout lessons <clears throat> from those mentors I have, uh, I was very, very fortunate to work with uh, uh, my mentor, whose name is uh, Dr. Robert Page. Uh, I met him while I was in grad school at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And uh, he was the head of the choral department there. 
and he accepts one student a year. And I didn't, uh, I had a very funny uh, experience of getting into the school. Wow. Um, for example, I didn't know, um, I, I, I had applied for a different program at Carnegie Mellon. And he wrote to me and said, I think you'd be interested in doing choral studies. And I didn't know anything about choral music. Um, but I said, okay, you know, I, my mom's like, David, you've been wanting to go to Carnegie Mellon, go to the audition. So they gave me the sheet music, um, the list. And so I go to my library at the Hart School and uh, it was two pieces. And the day before my audition, uh, the person I was working with to help me prepare uh, uh, told me, David, you got the wrong sheet music. And so I'm walking in the hall so upset and I bump into the head of the choral studies department at heart. And he says, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I need this music. He literally pulled the correct version out of his bag. I was like, this is kismet. I've got to nail this. So I go to my audition and it was a disaster. I had to conduct things in German. I didn't know German diction at the time and I still don't very well. Um, but Dr. Page, I think was, was very excited that I was curious and I wanted to learn and that I uh, that I love vocalists and I love working with singers and he loved also knowing that I had a dance background um, and one of the phrases that he would always say is you know uh, is about making music dance you know and that really resonated with me and that's something I really have taken taken with me into everything I do because I did have a teacher who uh, when I started taking piano, didn't understand um, that I was self-taught and, you know, starting off as a dancer, mm -hmm. the process of learning in a, in a, in a dance class is very different than being in a practice room as a musician and not, never having that experience of knowing how to break that down um, was sort of hindering to my abilities and uh, I became very timid about playing. I wasn't excited about it. So getting to work with Dr. Page who literally took all my elements that brought me into uh, myself and the things I believed in, my musicianship, my mu musicality, my passion. Um, he would he would say things like that or, or things like um, uh, meter is on the page, but rhythm is what you do with it. Or uh, oh, if like something that. comes unheralded, welcome it. Uh, or you don't have to preach to be heard. You know, he would mm -hmm. say a lot of these little phrases that just really clipped to the heart and he had such a great ability to keep the bar really high mm. while still encouraging um students to do their best without making them feel bad and um it it made me proud of the of who i am and the things i could contribute and um i really am very grateful to him in seeing that in me and you know, taking me to the next chapter. Hmm. And I appreciate you. I so appreciate you jumping around in this conversation today along the same vein of, um, work ethic. What was there any early inspirations from, you know, family or these mentors that, uh, taught you about work ethic? Absolutely. Um, my mom, uh, owned her own business. Uh, you know, she came to the States in the early sixties, left, then came back. Um, and seeing her build her, her, she was in, uh, market research and really, um, 
getting to see her different offices from one location to another and sort of the growth that happened and the amount of time and you know she's an amazing mom would always be there um but also knew what work needed to get done so her taking me to her office and seeing people work uh you know at the phones uh and how she would lead and um and she'd put me you know in a, in a small place but being observant of how she was running and and the amount of a detail and conversation with people sort of I, I, it's funny you ask this because i hadn't quite thought about it till now is that that those moments of actually sitting in her office and seeing how she worked with other people and and the focus that each of them had to have to do their own work it was it was sort of an open office space there weren't they didn't have cubicles but you know there'd be anywhere between four to ten people working and um and she'd have a copy machine so i would always also get to play with a copy machine or the fax machine or things like that but um yeah that was a very big chapter and then also my dad who's uh who's very detail oriented takes great pride in um in trying to do things as thorough as possible and he would even tell me stories of like when uh, i was cast in a show in the fifth grade and he said david you have to do your homework or you're not going to rehearsal. It was my first time ever doing anything outside of school. And I said, um, you don't want me to do this? It's gonna ruin my future. You know, and so he, he still laughs of, of that. Um, so I, I, I think there are things about parents and understanding what homework is and what, you know, things that are going to, to um, feed into your future. Um, I was not great with homework and I think that was very frustrating both for me and for my parents. Um, and I think there were a couple of reasons why I homework wasn't great for me. I, I didn't realize till I was older that I've, you know, I've had, I have my own way of understanding and comprehension and I had switched schools. So there were a lot of things that sort of hindered that process, but I've always been a hard worker. And I think seeing my parents do hard work and also having to being, being refugees and immigrants here, it's it's a very different experience with especially two parents that have uh that are not native speakers of english and what they have to do also to um you know to work hard to to be part of the town i was raised in and um and you know not make me feel like anything was different at the time you know um and i'm very grateful for their passion and their hard work and literally coming here with no money and building as much as they did. Um, it's very, very inspiring. And I think as I get older, I keep remembering these things that they've instilled in me and uh, in my sister as well. It's interesting The you bring up the language aspect. I'm curious, you know, either through witnessing them or even just communicating, you know, with music and arrangements, how, how have you gotten better at communication? Uh, how have I gotten better at communication? I mean, in terms of, of, um, I remember I was working on a project and somebody said to me, um, that, uh, you have to be careful when you're talking because people can interpret words differently. Right. And this was, you know, years later in, when I moved to New York and, um, and I've sort of taken that advice to heart and I sort of look back at, at how, um, 
how things even communicating with parents or teachers and sometimes language just the words you use can be interpreted by anyone differently and really taking the time to choose your words carefully and making sure that when it's easy to sort of just talk but making sure that somebody is understanding and not in in a way that that is um you know putting anyone down but more in the sense of like if i'm going to communicate something you want it to be understood and how can and vice versa if somebody's communicating something to me what can i do as the listener or somebody who was actively wanting to join them in a collaboration what are the things that we need to do to to communicate to keep us on the same page it's in any relationship it's in uh, it's in any um project is literally about communication because that's at the root of how we advance you know even working with uh, a singer on a song you know we're talking about being active and objectives and um and it's all about communication what do you what do you want to achieve by sharing something with somebody what what is the hope on that to do, do what is going to advance us from step one to step two yeah i want to touch on um beetlejuice <laughs> We're still mm-hmm. in the dance arrangements. Um, and this is a, it's a hybrid question because I'm really curious what your views are on professional relationships in this industry. I'm also curious what the journey was to Beetlejuice. I love when we can connect these dots. <laughs> um, yeah. What comes to mind? Views on, um, views on relationships in, in this industry are, you're constantly building relationships, right? You're, you're working with people. And um, I also have this belief that when you're going for a project, you're either being hired because you've worked with somebody or they like your taste. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're working with somebody that you, you, let me start that all again. <laughs> uh, relationships really come from, from connecting with people and um, they can come with with people that you um, that you enjoy working with there comes with people that you enjoy their taste comes with people that you aspire to work with Um, you know and there's a whole portion of the industry that's networking and what does networking actually mean and I think there's a also miss there's a negative connotation sometimes to networking. And I think the reason why that is, is because it feels like, what can I get from this other person? And I think what a true relationship is, is where both people are benefiting. Mm. And I think that's something that I've learned, I think, since I've, I've been a kid is I'm always very excited to meet people. I love connecting. I love learning about people. I love sharing about my backstory and what are ways that we can collaborate in. Um, you know, I had a meeting yesterday with, with somebody who was very excited to be more in this industry. And um, through he- hearing her talk about herself, I was like, oh, these are three people I could I could connect you with. And I, I remember somebody also said to me some very wise information several years ago I was feeling very stuck in my career and um and he said the best thing to do when you're feeling stuck is actually give more help people connect other people because there's something about that that uh 
keeps not just your name going, but um, makes does something to your brain in terms of connecting dots and thinking. And um, I do really love that philosophy. Um, and I think relationships are are not everybody gets along with everybody. You want to, or you hope to, sure. or the optimist in me wants to. Um, but not everyone also has the same taste or the same approach or the same desires. Uh, you know, even working on, um, I know you were asking about Beetlejuice and, um, you know, it was amazing seeing the steps from out of town to Broadway. You're having so many people working on one project. You're having all the designers from sets, costumes, puppetry, magic, choreography, um, uh, lights, video, sound, orchestrations. Uh, I mean, it's endless, especially on a show like that where all the layers are not just working individually. They're actually, uh, they're all enhancing each other's work. Yeah. And being out of town, it was the first time we all understood how everybody's individual work was going to be collected together. Mm. And um, between out of town and getting to Broadway, the steps that the team took to keep us all on the same page was an amazing lesson. It was an amazing lesson in communication, in listening, uh, in execution, in making sure that when you're not protect that you're some of the things that you might be precious to or that you want to include in the show might have to get cut and being okay with that and what it means to edit um and i think when you're in a good relationship those those discussions have to be able to be uh have to be able to happen and doing it in a way that um keeps everybody both engaged and excited and everyone can sort of benefit. I think that's, that's a, that's a really um, important goal. I think on any project and in relationships is also uh, one more thing. And that is, and also being very gracious that a lot of people are putting in their own, their time, even if it is work, right. you know, we are in an industry where as much as it is a job, it is things we got into this because it is personal. And I remember somebody saying, Hey, don't take, don't take this work too personally. And it's hard not to, because you, when you're writing something, either being I'm speaking for me personally, you know, as a composer, or as an arranger, and you've spent time and it, you are trying to make it feel, you're trying to make it as genuine and authentic. That work has to be personal. Mm -hmm. um, so when, you know, something goes awry or something's not respected or not heard properly, it's hard not to. Um, and I think understanding that being in creative industry that is also a business, what it means to be uh, grateful and gracious, both for the work and for other people's work. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.